Welcome to Rebecca Reads. Today's story is a couple stories about King Arthur. The version I am using is from Andrew Lang's Tales of King Arthur and the Round Table. King Arthur is a legend that has been around for centuries. There are so many stories about him. I'm going to read you some of what Andrew Lang says in his introduction. The tales of King Arthur and his knights are of Celtic origin. The Celts were the people who occupied Britain at the time when the history of the country opens. It is believed that King Arthur lived in the 6th century, just after the Romans withdrew from Britain, and when the Britons, left to defend themselves against the attacks of the marauding Saxons, rose and defeated them at Mount Baden, securing to themselves peace for many years. It was probably about this time that King Arthur and his company of knights performed the deeds which were to become the themes of stories and lays for generations afterwards. Don't forget to stay after the story for this week's poem. And now on to King Arthur, the drawing of the sword and the sword Excalibur. The Drawing of the Sword Long, long ago, after Uther Pendragon died, no king reigned in Britain and every knight hoped to seize the crown for himself. The country was like to fare ill when laws were broken on every side, and the corn which was to give bread to the poor was trodden underfoot, and there was none to bring the evildoer to justice. Then, when things were at their worst, came forth Merlin the magician, and fast he rode to the place where the Archbishop of Canterbury had his dwelling. They took counsel together, and agreed that all the lords and gentlemen of Britain should ride to London and meet on Christmas Day, now at hand, in the great church. So this was done. And on Christmas morning, as they left the church, they saw in the churchyard a large stone, and on it a bar of steel, and in the steel a naked sword was held, and about it was written in letters of gold, Whoso pulleth out this sword is by right of birth king of England. They marveled at these words, and called for the archbishop, and brought him into the place where the stone stood. Then those knights, who fain would be king, took firm hold of the hilt, and they tugged at the sword with all their might, but it never stirred. The archbishop watched them in silence, but when they were faint from pulling, he spoke. The man is not here who shall lift out that sword, nor do I know where to find him. But this is my counsel, that two knights be chosen, good and true men, to keep guard over the sword. Thus it was done. But the lords and gentlemen-at-arms cried out that every man had a right to try to win the sword, and they decided that on New Year's Day a tournament should be held, and any knight who would might enter the lists. So on New Year's Day, the knights, according to custom, went to hear service in the great church, and after it was over, they met in the field to make ready for the tourney. Among them was a brave knight called Sir Ector, who brought with him Sir Kay, his son, and Arthur, Kay's foster brother. Now Kay had unbuckled his sword the evening before, and in his haste to be at the tourney had forgotten to put it on again, and he begged Arthur to ride back and fetch it for him. But when Arthur reached the house, the door was locked, for the women had gone out to see the tourney, and though Arthur tried his best to get in, he could not. Then he rode away, galloped fast, till he reached the gate of the churchyard. He jumped down, tied his horse tightly to a tree, and, running up to the sword, seized the handle and lightly and fiercely drew it out. 
Then he mounted his horse again and delivered the sword to Sir Kay. The moment Sir Kay saw the sword, he knew it was not his own, but the sword of the stone, and he sought out his father, Sir Ector, and said to him, Sir, this is the sword of the stone, therefore I am the rightful king. Sir Ector made no answer, but signed to Kay and Arthur to follow him, and they all three went back to the church. Leaving their horses outside, they entered the choir, and here Sir Ector took a holy book and bade Sir Kay swear how he came by that sword. "'My brother Arthur gave it to me,' replied Sir Kay. "'How did you come by it?' asked Sir Ector, turning to Arthur. "'Sir,' said Arthur, "'when I rode home for my brother's sword, I found no one to deliver it to me, and as I resolved he should not be swordless, I thought of the sword in this stone and pulled it out.' "'Were any knights present when you did this?' asked Sir Ector. "'No, none,' said Arthur. "'Then you are the rightful king of this land,' said Sir Ector. "'But why am I the king?' inquired Arthur. "'Because,' answered Sir Ector, "'this is an enchanted sword, "'and no man could draw it but he who was born a king. "'Therefore put the sword back into the stone "'and let me see you take it out.' "'That is soon done,' said Arthur, replacing the sword, "'and Sir Ector himself tried to draw it, but he could not. "'Now it is your turn,' he said to Sir Kay, "'but Sir Kay fared no better than his father, "'though he tugged with all his might and main. "'Now you, Arthur.' "'And Arthur pulled it out as easily as if it had been lying in its sheath, "'and as he did so, Sir Ector and Sir Kay sank on their knees before him.' "'Why do you, my father and brother, kneel to me?' asked Arthur in surprise. "'Nay, nay, my lord,' answered Sir Ector. "'I am not your father, though till today I could not tell you who your father really was. "'You are the son of Uther Pendragon, and you were brought to me when you were born by Merlin himself, "'who promised that when the time came you should know from whom you sprang.' "'When Arthur heard that Sir Ector was not his father, he wept bitterly.' If I am king, he said at last, ask what you will, and I shall not fail you, for to you and to my lady and mother I owe more than to any one in the world, for she loved me and treated me as her son. Sir, replied Sir Ector, I only ask that you will make your foster brother, Sir Kay, seneschal of all your lands. That I will readily, answered Arthur, and while he and I live no other shall fill that office. Sir Ector then bade them seek out the archbishop with him, and they told him all that had happened concerning the sword, which Arthur had left standing in the stone. And on twelfth day the knights and barons came again, but none could draw it out but Arthur. When they saw this, many of the barons became angry and cried out that they would never own a boy for king whose blood was no better than their own. So it was agreed to wait until Candlemas, when more knights would be there. And meanwhile, the same two men who had been chosen before watched the sword night and day. But at Candlemas it was the same thing, and at Easter. And when Pentecost came, the common people who were present and saw Arthur pull out the sword cried with one voice that he was their king, and they would kill any man who said differently. Then rich and poor fell on their knees before him, and Arthur took the sword and offered it upon the altar where the archbishop stood, and the best man who was there made him knight. 
After that, the crown was put on his head, and he swore to his lords and commons that he would be a true king and would do them justice all the days of his life. The Sword Excalibur King Arthur, accompanied by Merlin the magician, had left the comfort of the court to seek adventures. He had fought a hard battle with the tallest knight in all the land, and though he struck hard and well, he would have been slain had not Merlin enchanted the knight and cast him into a deep sleep and brought the king to a hermit who had studied the art of healing and cured all his wounds in three days. Then Arthur and Merlin waited no longer, but gave the hermit thanks and departed. As they rode together, Arthur said, I have no sword. But Merlin bade him be patient, and he would soon give him one. In a little while they came to a large lake, and in the midst of the lake Arthur beheld an arm rising out of the water, holding up a sword. Look, said Merlin, that is the sword I spoke of. And the king looked again, and a maiden stood upon the water. That is the lady of the lake, said Merlin, and she is coming to you. And if you ask her courteously, she will give you the sword. So when the maiden drew near, Arthur saluted her and said, Maiden, I pray you tell me whose sword is that which an arm is holding out of the water. I wish it were mine, for I have lost my sword. That sword is mine, King Arthur, answered she, and I will give it to you, if you in return will give me a gift when I ask you. By my faith, said the king, I will give you whatever gift you ask. Well, said the maiden, get into the barge yonder, and row yourself to the sword, and take it and the scabbard with you. For this was the sword Excalibur. As for my gift, I will ask it in my own time. Then King Arthur and Merlin dismounted from their horses and tied them up safely, and went into the barge, and when they came to the place where the arm was holding the sword, Arthur took it by the handle, and the arm disappeared, and they brought the sword back to land. As they rode, the king looked lovingly on his sword, which Merlin saw, and, smiling, said, Which do you like best, the sword or the scabbard? I like the sword, answered Arthur. You are not wise to say that, replied Merlin, for the scabbard is worth ten of the sword, and as long as it is buckled on you, you will lose no blood, however sorely you may be wounded. So they rode into the town of Carleon, and Arthur's knights gave them a glad welcome, and said it was a joy to serve under a king who risked his life as much as any common man. Thank you for listening to King Arthur. Do you think Arthur really pulled a sword from the stone? Do you think a lady in the lake gave him Excalibur? Why do you think these stories have lasted so long? Did you like them? Why? Today's poem is Sir Galahad by Alfred Tennyson. It is about one of King Arthur's knights who was the most upright of all the knights of the round table. It reads, My good blade carves the casks of men, My tough lance thrusteth sure, My strength is as the strength of ten, Because my heart is pure. The shattering trumpet shrilleth high, The hard brands shiver on the steel, the splintered spear shafts crack and fly, the horse and rider reel. They reel, they roll in clinging lists, and when the tide of combat stands, perfume and flowers fall in showers that lightly rain from ladies' hands. How sweet are looks that ladies bend on whom their favors fall, 
For them I battle till the end to save from shame and thrall. But all my heart is drawn above, my knees are bowed in crypt and shrine. I never felt the kiss of love, nor maiden's hand in mine. More bounteous aspects on me beam, me mightier transports move and thrill. So keep I fair through faith and prayer, a virgin heart in work and will. When down the stormy crescent goes, a light before me swims. Between dark stems the forest glows, I hear a noise of hymns. Then by some secret shrine I ride, I hear a voice, but none are there. The stalls are void, the doors are wide, the tapers burning fair. Fair gleams the snowy altar cloth, the silver vessels sparkle clean. The shrill bell rings, the censer swings, and solemn chaunts resound between. Sometimes on a lonely mountain mirrors I find a magic bark. I leap on board, no helmsman steers, I float till all is dark. A gentle sound, an awful light, Three angels bear the holy grail. With folded feet in stoles of white, on sleeping wings they sail. Ah, blessed vision, blood of God, my spirit beats her mortal bars as down dark tides and glory slides and star-like mingles with the stars. When on my goodly charger borne, though dreaming towns I go, the cock crows ere the Christmas morn, the streets are dumb with snow. The tempest crackles on the leads, and ringing springs from brand and mail. But o'er the dark a glory spreads, and gilds the driving hail. I leave the plain, I climb the height, no branchy thicket shelter yields. But blessed forms and whistling storms fly o'er waste fens and windy fields. A maiden night, to me is given such hope, I know not fear. I yearn to breathe the airs of heaven that often meet me here. I muse on joy that will not cease, pure spaces clothed in living beams, pure lilacs of eternal peace, whose odors haunt my dreams. And, stricken by an angel's hand, this mortal armor that I wear, this weight and size, this heart and eyes, are touched, are turned to finest air. The clouds are broken in the sky, and through the mountain walls, a rolling organ harmony swells up and shakes and falls. Then move the trees, the copses nod, wings flutter, voices hover clear. O oh, just and faithful knight of God, ride on, the prize is near. So pass I hostel, hall, and grange, by bridge and ford, by park and pale. All armed I ride, whate'er betide, until I find the Holy Grail. That is another episode of Rebecca Reads. Please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a single one. You can also find me on the Rebecca Reads Facebook page where I post a fun book to read out loud every Friday and other updates. Keep reading and we'll see you next week for another episode of Rebecca Reads.